I've been thinking a lot about the church and just, you know, my conversations and my understanding, not only here, but as I talk to other pastors and leaders. Um, The church is losing its understanding of the love of God. You know, I think somehow we, the the theme of re-engage is important. Loving God is foundational. Understanding the word love is critical. And we unfortunately live in a time and a place when uh, I'm not sure we understand the word love real well. And so I'm going to really look at the, God's word with you today and next week about understanding that word. I'm, I'm going to give you, especially next week, some very practical things about what are the evidence of love, how we love one another, what does it look like. I mean, unfortunately, when you think about it, where do we learn about love? Right? I mean, uh, well, hopefully our homes that we grew up in, but if there wasn't a lot of healthy love there, then we're a little bit, we're kind of, you know, struggling. So then what do we do? For most of us, it's modeled somehow, but I would say the majority of us, you know, fly by the seat of our pants trying to figure out so what we might read and study. But even that sometimes, the most powerful image of what love is is what's been lived out in front of us. And so that becomes very important. And of course, I'm sure you know this, right? Hollywood's image of love isn't the way to model your life. TV isn't the way to go. And it's really, it's kind of difficult and challenging. Even back at the time this was written, and we're looking at in Jesus' time in the New Testament, they struggled with the word love. They had five different words for love, uh, three of which were used regularly. One doesn't appear in the Scripture. And then the one that we're going to look at briefly only appears twice, really, in Scripture in two, two, two uses um, and implied in other places. But it was a word that was used pretty much only in Scripture at the time of the New Testament, and it wasn't part of classical Greek. So if you looked at the normal population, and I found that interesting, that God used a word to describe love that wasn't a commonly used word at the time. And so I see that as God saying, my love and our love is unique and special, unlike anything else. So I don't, I'm convinced that that wasn't by accident, and I, I'm a big believer, as you are, God does nothing by accident. Can you say me that? Aren't you glad about that? God is not spontaneous like the rest of us. So <laughs> he does things. So I'd like you to look at John 3.16, if you'll look there. How does God love us? Well, I've learned that God loves us passionately. He loves us unlike anything else. Here's a passage that probably most of you would go, oh, I know that. The problem is, if I didn't have it on the screen, it was interesting, they did a study recently, it was about two years ago, and they asked you know, people from church, the average church person, so John 3, 16, what is it? And so from a lot of evangelicals, they knew it was in the Bible, uh, from some of the liberal churches, they weren't sure it was in the Bible. They thought of it, maybe it was a restaurant or a street or some kind of program going on. And, uh, but then even those who knew it was Scripture, could you quote it? So statistically right now, if I didn't have this up there, only half of you would be able to quote it correctly. You go, I know it. I know, I know the answer. And then I showed you, oh yeah, that's it, Exactly. So, you know, you're not alone. It's uh, often because we don't repeat enough, we don't think enough about it, uh, pretty common. So, you know, God does love us. Can we just look at this together? Why don't we read this together and kind of get our memory cells going here and remember John 3, 16. So let's read it out loud, loudly together, starting right here. And use the screen, because your version may be different than mine. Ready? Begin. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, you are not keeping up with me at all. Was I going too fast? I know some of you are closing your eyes to prove that you could do it without looking. Nice job. <laughs> you know, loving God more than anything else is critical. Loving one another is vital. And so you and I taking a moment to talk about this and remember that God so loved the world. Now the Greek word there, a lot of you know, is agape. God loved agape. That's the word that does not occur outside of Scripture at the time that this was written. That is agape love, which a lot of us would reflect on, is unconditional love. And this kind of love is one of the things that what I, what I, what I appreciate about it doesn't require chemistry, doesn't require necessarily emotion. Uh, it requires really, it's a spiritual word, intellectual, it is in part emotional, and has so much to do with uh, something far beyond just a feeling. Because most love, that when we think about love, we tend to associate with feeling. Now, let me hasten to add, love and emotions are important as well. Because we're going to see this, because I, you'll notice the word passionately. That's an emotional word. And it's important for us to have that understanding of the power of the emotion because he loved us, again, a word that it's not static, it's dynamic. He loved us in an ongoing way. So the point of he loved us, at, a, at there was a, a beginning and there's never an end with this, the verb that's being used. So his love will not ever stop. Can you see a of that? And so for you and I, we come into a point of time with Jesus, and his love continues on and doesn't stop. I'm convinced that when it talks about he loved us, it reminds us that he loved us sacrificially. I was thinking about the idea of sacrifice and love. And when you think about what real love does, I think real love initiates. I think one of the important things we do is when you love someone, you initiate that love. When you think about it, a lot of us tend to wait for someone to come to us maybe or say something to us and we wait for a need to be made known. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily, but you think about it, real love sacrifices and willing to initiate. So you might see a need and rather than waiting for someone to have to come to you, you go to them and say, you know, I've noticed you, this is going on in your life. Could, could I help out here? I'd, I'd like to you know, be able to do this for you. I mean, think about it. If love is always about waiting for someone to come to you rather than you initiate to them, what does that say about our love? A little self-centered, maybe? Kind of, it's not really a say, other-focused? See, Jesus didn't wait for us. He initiated a sacrificial love, right? And we know how he did that by giving up his only begotten son. Now, this is where something becomes very powerful because it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Very practical. God gave up his son for us. 
I want you to stop and think about that for a second. Here is one of the big concerns I have for the church, is that we tend to remember this amazing sacrificial love unemotionally. We tend to, because we've lived with it so long, we tend to think of it intellectually, theologically, but somehow we've missed the emotion of it. Can you imagine being a parent and sacrificing your son or daughter for someone else? My guess isn't a parent here would do that. I mean, I could not ever imagine sacrificing any one of my boys for any reason, any time. You know, it'd be like, let me get in front of the bullet for you. I would never want that to happen. And the thought of that is emotionally powerful. Now, once you begin to realize that's exactly what God the Father did with his son. He put his son into harm's way. Now, again, we rationalize and go, well, that's scripture, that's theological, that's the right thing to do. But that's a powerful thing to do. When I first received the Lord and it connected with me, that the heavenly Father gave up his son for me and put his son in harm's way for me, took the bullet for me, it really broke me. And I find myself reminding myself of the emotion behind it, because here's the problem. The church is losing its emotional and spiritual connection to the sacrifice that God made. And what happens is we become a little cold by way of our intellectualism and our theological stance. And here's the danger. When you lose the emotion, it's easier to disconnect. When you lose the connection of what really happened, I see people in the church today disengaging. And all of a sudden they lose that sense of who God really is and what he's done. Because when you grapple again with the reality and you let the Spirit of God speak to you again, and all of a sudden the power and the impact of the fact is a real human being, also who was God's only begotten son, died for you. Because had that not happened, you and I would be in serious trouble. But to reflect on the death, the torture of it, the suffering of it, all that that would contain, and then to realize, God, you did that for me? Not just all of humanity, but he did it for each of us individually. He did it for me, Stephen. He did it for you. And you think about it, it was a personal thing he did. We must not ever lose that edge and understanding. Otherwise, he becomes some distant relative. And we put him at a distance. I, I grew up in a Jewish environment with lots of ritual and tradition. Uh, you know, certainly the Word of God was very important. But when I think about all that I was involved with, when I finally met Jesus and this amazing personal, I, I still, the transition, that was one of the most important things I connected personally and relationally with God in a way that was so different than ever before. Previous to that, I was connecting to the tradition, to some of the activity and some of the ritualism. Some of you might understand that from your background. If you're Catholic or you know, from a liturgical environment, you would connect with, and I've heard people talk about how they miss the tradition, connect with those things, and nothing wrong with that. But it becomes a substitute to the personal relationship 
of Jesus. And that is critical because if we don't have that, then we're set up. I want to encourage you, let the Spirit of God speak to you even now today to reconnect with the power of the sacrifice because God loved us that much. He initiated that much for us. You know, he paid the price. There's a thing that I'd like to suggest, maybe this will get you thinking, especially some of you have been around for a while. Um, I believe there's a thing that's rising up in the church called spiritual superstition. Interesting, huh? Here's what I mean by that. There's a lot of people who find themselves seeking religious refuge and protection by having what they believe is the right attitude, the right behavior, and it's almost like their Bible becomes their lucky rabbit's foot. And they somehow think their association, you know how guilt by association? Well, I'm safe by association, that somehow I've got my Bible, I've got my ritual, I've got my attendance, I've got all these things going on, and somehow I will be saved by what I do and not by what I have. That's critically important because I see the church today moving away from the reality that we are saved because we have a relationship with God through faith. And that's very important. And not to just think it, but feel it. God rescues us. You know, when you think about it, how does God love us? He rescued us. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift, not of works, least anyone should boast. See that life ring? That is an awesome word picture and metaphor of salvation. The very word sertarii means to be rescued. It's the Greek word to be saved means to be rescued. And so you're out there drowning, and God says, here, let me throw out the life ring for you, and all you got to do is grab a hold of it, and I'll bring you in. We were out uh, yesterday on the uh, Puget Sound, and a bunch of us were swimming, and uh, some of our our, we were diving. Some of our divers got caught in a current. And uh, Brent and I were out there, and Brent's, uh, he's a rescue diver. And he went out and actually rescued three people. So when you see, tell man, he, he, he did a really neat thing. It was pretty amazing. And I was out there supporting him, right? And so, <laughs> but I had the rescue ring. And so we, I kind of moved, and then I put it out, and and one of the divers was really tired, just grabbed a hold of that flotation device and was so thankful to have that support. And everyone got in safe and sound. And they were pretty appreciative. God does the same thing. He throws out the ring because sometimes life can get so overwhelming, so tiring. But he also throws it out so you have eternity. Here's the crazy word picture I have in my head. God throws out the life ring, and it's right there in front of you, and none of you are grabbing it. There's a lot of people in this world who kind of look at this, and it's the one thing that would save you from drowning, and you just look at this right in front of you and don't grab it. I mean, how many people have a life ring in front of them, and they ignore it? I mean, it's almost like I, you know, God's not going to play you know, a game and try to get it over your head. He puts it out in front of us and says, you need to choose. And when we choose that, and I think there's something about the understanding of how when we choose that, 
man, God's here to rescue us at any point in time. Now, he promises that in this rescue, we will not perish but have everlasting life. Can you submit to that? This is a rescue that really does save you. It saves you from eternal separation. But you realize it also saves you every day. There are things in life that come that can drown you. And God says there's, no, there's not a one of us that needs to drown because life, life can get kind of overwhelming sometimes, if you notice. Sometimes things happen and we're surprised by the turn of events and things will go on. And it can feel like we're drowning. I have conversations like that all the time. I sometimes feel that way. And I'm so thankful that I can hang on to the life ring that he throws out. You know, it's interesting because I was reading and John 3.16 in the message by Eugene Peterson. I love what he said. Listen, it says, this is how much God loved the world. Okay, he gave a son. We, we remind ourselves of that. His one and only son, right? We got that. There's only one here. And this is why. I love how he puts this. So that no one needs be destroyed. I love that, how he prayed that. That word stood out. So that no one need be destroyed. How? By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Can we agree with Bill? Can you say amen to that? Amen. I love that. That is so true. And yet I think how many people's lives are being destroyed and they're going down for no other reason than they're not willing to reach out and believe in him and receive him. Now you'll notice that I tag in the word believe and receive. I do that intentionally. Because you and I should connect with the fact that there's a lot of people who can believe in Jesus being something. It doesn't mean they have received him as Savior and Lord. See, I am about helping you and I understand that I believe Jesus to be the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God, and I have received Him into my life. I talk to lots of people who believe Jesus to be, well, he's a, He could be God. He could be a teacher. He could be a great guy. He could be a philosopher. There's a lot of because if you say that you really truly believe Jesus to be the only begotten Son of God, and nothing changes in your life, I'm going to say something challenging, some of you might want to you know, process this, then you're really a liar. Because you cannot believe the truth of that and it not change your life. Somehow, some way, that truth gets inside of you and dynamically changes you. But I think the reality is we don't totally believe. Now, the words change and the definition, I have to do with how you define words and stuff, but I want you, and I want to encourage you, when you talk to people, be a little more clear. Do you believe, and have you received Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord? Because that makes a huge difference in what we do. And he's made this amazing promise. You will not perish. You will not perish. You will not be destroyed. He paid the price for us. And because he loves us so much, he gave us the choice to choose whether we're going to grab the ring or not. I mean, that's what love does. Love says, I'm going to let you choose. I mean, that's important because if you don't allow for choice, is that really love? I mean, we could redefine that as manipulation or control 
Uh, it could be a lot of other things. But because and when you love someone, you don't manipulate them. When you love someone, you don't try to control them. You allow them to be who they are, and you live life in such a way that they're able to make choices rather than you doing it for them. And I believe that's something critical in a mature love that we have. And here being modeled for this is what it means to love. And so we believe and receive means Jesus is the one who's in charge of our past, present, and future. We have declared, God, you are in charge of everything for all time. You're the boss of my life. And we are trusting that all of God's words are 100% reliable. We can rely on him for the power to change us. So we really trust in the fact, we rely on the fact that everything we're talking about is true, it's real. And that what God said is, is love. It's that I really do love you more than you could ever imagine. Now as we understand this, then God helps us because he was asked the question, so how exactly do we love you? How are we going to do this? He was asked that question, you know, so what, you know, the, the, the rabbis, the, the other leaders, the people of the time, and he responded in a very unique way in Mark 12. What I like about this, when you look at the Gospels, Mark gives us his answer different than any of the other Gospels. There's one little difference there that's pretty significant. So Jesus is answering the question, basically, so how do we love God? So Jesus replies, the most important commandment is this. And I love the fact, because they were all concerned about commandments. You know, if you're a good Jew, you want to live according to the commandments. You want to do everything just right. So it's a kind of a ritualistic, uh, kind of rigid kind of way of living. And you spend your whole life living a certain way, according to the rules. And some of us who love rules would really appreciate that. So Jesus responded and said, okay, fine. Let me tell you what the most important commandment is. And then he nails them on something that they would say at least two or three times a day. The Shema. He says, okay, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And they're going, well, that's what we say all the time. And Jesus is going, yeah, of course, I, I got you. So he starts there for a reason. I want you, you'll see this in a moment. There's an order to this. Having declared the Shema to them, he says, and you must love, and hear the word agape, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And then he says the second is equally important, not less than, but equally. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than Lee's. And they're going, that is revolutionary. You mean of the 613 commandments we're trying to follow, this is all we got to worry about? You mean I have to worry about the other 611? <laughs> Man, have I been overworking. <laughs> I mean, what would you choose, two or 600 plus? <laughs> right? The problem is too many people would still choose the 600 plus. And that's sad. Because that misses the whole point of the love of God. Now, God's not saying and nullifying all the other commandments he gave us, right? But he's saying this is the most important. He's declaring something, and he's saying to them, there's a way of living life. And he basically, to summarize, he says, how do we love God passionately? You love God with your emotions. 
And the emotions are something that's the center of our desires and affections. You know, biblically, the emotions are found right here in your, your upper stomach. You know, and in all times when we feel emotions, don't you feel it there? Sometimes you feel anxious or you're really happy and you kind of get a, like, you know, a really a, a funny feeling in here. You said, oh, I'm in love. I have a funny feeling and it's kind of it's down in here. That's because that's how we're built. God created us with these, um, this amazing nervous system that when we react in our brain, it travels and all of a sudden we actually kind of, it's not totally science, but it's like kind of vibrates down here and you feel this emotion. And it's, it's just, it, it, it's right there. Now, if Jesus didn't want us to connect emotionally, he would have said something else. But the first thing out of the gate is, you're going to love the Lord God with all your heart, passionately. Now, let me, let me just remind you, Jesus needs to be the one and only in your life. Because how did he start? He is the one and only Lord. And you need to be passionate about only Him. Here's the problem. There's other Lords in our lives. And we have other things that we're passionate about that become a substitute for Him. And we may not even realize it. I see people who have substituted, who are passionate about their family, their advocacy, uh, their job, uh, their, their, their children, something else going on. And somehow, Jesus isn't really that passionate. But... I had someone kind of, this was interesting, I had this conversation a little while ago. I was talking to someone about, you know, how do you feel about Jesus? I said, well, Jesus is like a, a distant friend. I said, what do you mean? He told me, well, it's kind of like, you know, how you have a friend and you only see them once or twice a year. But whenever you see them, you feel like you've never been apart. That's how I feel about Jesus. I said, so what you're saying is you feel close to Jesus, but you only visit with him once or twice a year. He says, well, yeah, kind of, but he's always there. He's always there if I need him. I mean, I could call out to him. And I said, wow, that's ridiculous. So you're saying Jesus, and you're okay with him being a distant friend. Yeah, but he's always there to rescue me in the crisis. Oy vey. Do you see the danger of that relationship? That's not anywhere in what God's Word has called us to. But, you know, I see a lot of people in the church living that way. Jesus is a distant friend that somehow, he, you know, you go hang out with him, it's like you've never been apart. And you kind of figure in the crisis he's going to be there. But that is not how God has called us to live life. God has called us to live life with all your heart. He's called us to live life with all of our soul, willfully. In other words, you make a choice. And that our entire being is committed to the Lord. Our personality, our will, um, our soul, the spirit in us is all committed. How do we love God? Absolutely intellectually. You've heard me say this. Nowhere in the Word of God does it say to check your brain in at the door before you come in. I mean, God gave us an amazing tool and instrument that we're to use, and we're to love Him with all our mind, with our intelligence, with our knowledge. That is absolutely part of what we do. And practically, with all of our strength, our, our physical capabilities, we are to love God with all the resources we have. God has blessed you. And we ought to see, and you ought to see your blessing as a resource that you can bless others. 
For example, how many of you here have a boat? Raise your hand. You got a boat. Okay, so just think about how you can bless Pastor Steve right now. <laughs> God gave you a resource to bless somebody else. It's not just your boat. Can you see me into that? That's God's boat. <laughs> no kidding. At some point, you make the decision, is what you have yours or God's? You know, when I look at my home that I have, it's God's. And when we bought it, Lois and I were thinking, we want to have this house designed in such a way that it can be used to minister to other people as much as possible. I'm not saying people can kind of just come and go anytime they want, but we use it to have events and small groups and all kinds of things. I mean, we, everything we own, in our opinion, is Lord's. We're just stewarding whatever he's given us to the very best of our ability. That's what it means to love him with all your strength. It isn't this strength. It's the strength of the resources that you have. And so here it is. We love him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Now, because you love him that way, you protect what comes in to your heart, mind, into your soul, and into your resources. The scripture is very clear that you, how do we love God? Well, James kind of gives us a little bit of information. It says, well, get rid of all the moral filth and humbly accept the word. Does a spring send forth in chapter 3 fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Obviously not. Thus, no spring yields both salt and fresh water. See, this is critical. See, unfortunately, a lot of us miss this let me make a point here because this is critical understanding. You know, if I, I need some help here. So I don't know. Ken, you want to help me? You look like you want to help me. Come on up. All right. Thanks, man. God bless you. It's going to be okay. Okay, just stand here. Hold this glass. Okay. Okay, so this is fresh water. Fresh, cool water. Looks good, huh? Go ahead and taste it. It really is water. <laughs> Trust me. Go ahead and taste it. Is it water? I haven't tried it yet. Go ahead. It's all right. What are you putting that on for? Go ahead and taste the water. <laughs> taste it. <laughs> really, it's water. Water, okay. So. <laughs> smell this. Yeah, it's nice, huh? Okay. Kind of smells like lemon, doesn't it? Sure. Yeah, because it is lemon. Okay. Now, this is fresh, clear water. Okay, so here. Let's pour some lemon into it. Now, what, what happens? You're, you're a pretty smart guy. What do you think just happened? The water became what? Lemon juice. Lemon. Yeah, go ahead and taste it now. <laughs> it's bitter, right? Very bitter, yes. 
Look at it says, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? So here's the deal. I want my water back. Will you pour the lemon back in here for me so I can have my fresh water, please? I want fresh water back. I don't want lemon water. I want fresh water. It can't be done? You're a smart guy. Is there any way that I can get the lemon out of there so I can have my fresh water again? Oh, wait, the answer is no. Well, you could refresh it, because that's what God does, a miracle. Because the only way this is going to change is by dynamically applying a physical change to this water. The point is the same thing happens with us. We, God pours in amazing fresh water, and then we pour in the bitter. And then we wonder, why are things not working out so good? Because you have poured in bitter. And you know what? You can transform this, absolutely. And God can transform what's bitter in us by a miracle transformation by the Holy Spirit in our life. Can you say amen to that? Give Ken a God bless you. Nice job, man. All right. I just put this on to give him, make him nervous. <laughs> there was no point in it. <laughs> It's interesting that in Mark, when we read what is quoted from Jesus, you'll notice again the very beginning. Look what it said. Let me just, it, it, it was so powerful when he said, Jesus replied, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. The Shema was something, and Jesus is so, would you agree with me? Jesus is really smart. He was clever. He nailed them because they were saying the Shema. They were saying that every day. And when he said that to them, I could just see them taken back by, yeah, we know this. And here's what Jesus is saying. You may know it by memory, and here's the power, but you're not living it. Jesus is not the one and only God in your life. And so you want to do this right? Then do what you've been saying every day of your life. Church, we need to do what we are learning and what we're saying every day of our life. There's no vacation from this stuff. Because all you end up doing is pouring bitter into fresh. The good news is it can still be redeemed by the transforming power of Jesus. But if you don't transform it and you keep putting bitter in, Eventually, that water is going to be really hard to drink. And I see a lot of us get very bitter inside. And it's easy for that to happen. And so we begin with this clear declaration. And Jesus is saying, how do you love me? How do you love God? By declaring that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here's what he's saying. Relationship matters. Personal relationship matters. This is not just theological. This is not just intellectual. This is emotional. This is relational. There is one God. His name is Jehovah. Jehovah is to be our one and only God. Our relationship with Him is our number one priority. We are accountable for our obedience to 
his word and we will be held accountable and face his judgment in the afterlife, giving account for the life we have lived. Everything that you've done past, you will be accountable for. And from this point on, everything you do, you will be accountable for. The only hope you have is Jesus mediating for you on behalf of the Father. He will take the bullet for you. That deserves a response that is emotional, that is heart, mind, that is soul, and that is physical. Is the Lord your one and only? Let's begin to process that. I'd like you to hear the Shema and hear the declaration of just who the Lord is. Just Would you just let it kind of soak in and just hover right over you and let it become something that will lead us into some worship here in response to the love of Jesus. Shema Yisrael Adonai Adonai Baruch Shem
in fresh water and if you'd like fresh water I invite you to receive it 